Are you ready? Welcome to our one-year anniversary episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you, and today I have a very special co-host. He is a former house guest on Big Brother Canada Season 6. He is a commentator for Z Promotions and Fight Night MMA events, as well as the Calgary Roughnecks of the NLL. He is the host of the Go Stamps Go Show and columnist for Three Down Nation, Ryan Ballantyne. Thank you for joining. Uh, thanks for having me. That's uh, a longer list of credits than <laughs> that I'm used to getting. <laughs> so before we get into the CFL action, I want to take a few minutes and kind of get to know you. So where did your love for football come from? Uh, honestly, um, if, if uh, I mean, I, I started delivering the Calgary Sun back in 1990 as a kid. And uh, as I was walking around the neighborhood delivering the paper, I would read the paper as I was delivering it. Like, so, you know, I had one copy that, that was my parent, like my household copy. And so as I was walking through the neighborhood, I'd read the paper in the morning. Uh, and in 1990, that's when Wally Buono uh, came to town here in Calgary and and uh, kind of, you know, the team got off to a hot start. They were 6-0. and 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 so reading about, you know, them every day is just kind of a way, I don't want to say a way to kill time, but it got me interested in the sport and, and to the point where I'd ask my dad to take us to a game and I just kind of fell in love with it from there. Uh, I didn't really know much about football before then. And, and uh, once, uh, um, once I started reading about them on a daily basis, it kind of got me, uh, I found a love of the game through that. And what was it like to be a house guest on Big Brother Canada? Uh, it's it's both one of the best things I've ever done and one of the worst things I've ever done all at the same time. You know, um, <laughs> I think it's it's uh, it's an incredibly unique experience um, to go into that house, and it, it's kind of hard to define. But you know, when you you have a bad day at work or you have a bad day at at home, you can escape to either one or the other. You know, if, if things aren't going well at home, at least you can get away and get to work. And when things aren't going right at work, you can get home and get away from that. Not so much the case uh, in the Big Brother house. So when things aren't going right, you're jammed up with those people uh, nonstop for 24 hours a day and there's no escape from it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, it, it changed who I was as a person. I feel like I'm a, a much uh, better person coming out of the game than I was going into it. Um, just by virtue of the fact of being able to have these kind of in-depth looks into other people's lives and their experiences and, and really kind of being able to grab onto that and, and hold onto that as, you know, a, a, that everyone's perspective is different. I mean, you know, you used to think, I used to think and, and that, you know, well, there's live feeds, so everybody sees everything. But coming out of the house, I realized that, you know, even even with the live feed cameras, you're still only getting four angles of what's happening. And and if some of those are multiple angles of the same room, in the meantime, there's 10 people that aren't in that room that are all having their own individual experience. So it really taught me to, to kind of value perspective and the ability to look at somebody else and and think, OK, I, I need to try and understand their perspective before I put my own value judgment on what I think they're doing. So I think that's made me a better person uh, after the game. So a lot of people see the online application, you know, when they're going to start the casting process. So what is the process from the application itself to you've been selected and you're now sequestered? 
Uh, well, I mean, I, I can't give away too many details yeah. um, because uh, uh, honestly, actually, because I think that's I didn't know a lot of the details going in and I think it made my experience better for it. But I mean, there's it's not just you send in a video and then you end up in Toronto waiting to get in the house. I mean, it's a it's a fairly extensive process. There's, you know, um, psychological tests you have to take. There's medical tests you have to take. There's you know, there's there's a lot of um, steps in the process. But I would say to people, if you feel like you can comfortably afford to be away from your life for three months, I would apply. You know, the, the Canadian season from start to finish and, and how long you're gone to when you're back kind of maxes out at about 84 to 85 days um, with, with uh, you know, 69 to 70 somewhat in the house um, if you make it that far. And, and, you know, I recommend people try it. I don't, I don't even think you need to be a big fan of the game. It's uh, the game itself is, is definitely worth playing. It looks like it, it looks like it's a lot of fun. Speaking of a lot of fun, it was the regular season finale this week in the uh, CFL. And, you know, Ryan, we started off with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers traveling out to McMahon to take on the Calgary Stampeders. Here's Drew Brown. Into, oh boy, what a lucky bounce there. And that's going to be taken by Rasheed Bailey down inside the 30. Bailey inside the 20. Cuts it back. Still going. Bailey will not be stopped. End zone. What an effort. Are you kidding me, Rasheed Bailey? A couple of cracks at him, but they could not bring him down. And Winnipeg answers right back. The Bombers taking it 36-13, and it was kind of like that snow day from when we were kids. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pretty out, uh, and I think that really affected attendance as well. I give full credit to anybody that sat. I mean, there were still people sitting in their end zone seats at the end of the game, which, I mean, you know, full credit to you if you were willing to stick it out because, you know, that – that temperature on a cold metal bench uh, as the wind's coming down and your team's losing by 20 in the fourth quarter. I mean, there were still people sitting in those seats. So I was kind of amazed at, at bare minimum. I was amazed that they didn't make their way towards the center of the stadium with the seat back and, you know, like the comfortable chair, like it's not like there weren't options for people to go to. So uh, credit to those people, but the game itself, you know, there was bound to be, an emotional melt letdown, I think, from the Stampeders after winning against Saskatchewan to get a chance at a playoff game and then beating BC to secure themselves a playoff game. Um, you know, this game didn't mean anything to either team, and I felt like you could really tell. I, I thought the score maybe flattered the Bombers as well. Uh, you know, they, they put up uh, some fourth-quarter points there. Calgary had the lead at one point in this one, so... I, I didn't think that the game was worth much, um, but, you know, I, I get paid to go, so. Well, starting off for the Bombers, Drew Brown went 13 for 17, 278 and two touchdowns, which was impressive. Johnny Augustine ran the ball 15 times for 87 yards. Rashid Bailey had two catches for 81 yards and a big touchdown. But I think the most important thing on the Bomber side was Brady Oliveira becoming the second Canadian to break 1,500 rushing yards. Yeah, I mean, congrats to Oliver and, and over 2,000 all-purpose yards as well. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, uh, congrats to Brady Oliver. He had a fantastic season. I'm fascinated. You know, the news came out today that uh, Olivera will be up against Chad Kelly for the MOP nomination, and, and that's going to be a really interesting vote, I think, here. Um, I do think Kelly wins it because he can fall back and give Oliver a Canadian of the year. 
Um, but it will be definitely interesting to see what that vote split becomes between the two of them. But Brady, it was it was weird to me that Brady Oliveira came back into that game late in the fourth quarter. I thought, you know, even hell, give the ball to anybody else in that scenario. I mean, there's got to have still been a backup receiver that you can hand the ball off to once um, on the one yard line there. I thought giving it to Brady Oliveira was a real risk uh, that the Bombers were taking. Now, he seems to be okay and and fine, but Rashid Bailey doesn't come out of that game. He's injured uh, and is looking to be uh, potentially missing the West Finals. So, so yeah, I'm I'm very impressed with all, what Oliveira has done this season, uh, and and congrats to him. He's behind a a good old line uh, that that churned up yards, and he made the most of the ball when he was past the O line too. You know, they 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 say that the offensive line is good for the first four to five yards. That's what they're responsible for. Anything after that is what you're getting yourself. And and Oliveira managed to get a ton of those this year. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the risk. Well, look at Bo Levi Mitchell, right? He came back off the six game injured list. Instead of kneeling down, he, he tried to put it into the end zone off the one, got injured on another six game. So high risk. And in that point of the game, for what real reward? And then Well, wasn't he on his own one? Yeah, I don't even think it was a, a sneak. I think they were they were taking a knee on their own one, like yeah. To end That's the what half. I mean. Is, like, it's for it what? It wasn't right? even. It wasn't even trying to get a touchdown. Oh, right. It was trying no, to it was prevent a own. safety. Yeah. Um. It was on their own one yard line, and and Bo goes down in essentially a meaningless play to end the half as they're taking a knee. I mean, it, it's it's just uh, it's unfortunate that he got injured the way he did this year. But I mean, I I think it's it just shows to go that. You gotta, yeah. you you gotta try and protect your players as much as you can. Yeah, and then for the Calgary Stampede side, Jake Mayer played almost the whole game, six for fifteen, one hundred and ten yards, and a touchdown. Diedrich Mills, eight carries for eighty-eight yards, so he looked solid in the backfield. Cole Tucker, of course, you know, two catches, fifty-three yards, his first touchdown. But do you feel like? It was the right move even starting Jake Mayer in this game for, again, speaking of the high risk for what kind of reward, when guys like Logan Bonner, he's a third string, but he has shown definite improvement throughout the season. I mean, Jake Mayer, it's not like he was in a rhythm, right? It's not like Jake has been lights out all season and has been in a rhythm firing up 300-yard games every week. I mean, I I think if you look, he's got as many 300-yard games as he has sub 200 yard games um, and they needed to get him a rhythm. Now on the flip side of that, I think you, you also saw Tommy Stevens come into the game. I think in the beginning as stages of the fourth quarter and, and the Stamp beaters offense didn't do much with him. And those reps are still valuable for the receivers and for, you know, the line and, and you're still mixing up your offensive line. You're still not sure what receiver set you're going to get when you get to the playoffs. So those reps mattered to those players. Um, So I don't hate the idea that Jake was in for the better part of three quarters. I think if he had been run over at any point or sacked or consistently under pressure in the first half, he may not have seen the field in the second half, but he wasn't. I think they, they didn't get to him very often. Uh, in that game, I don't know that there was an overwhelming amount of pressure either, but it just looked like Jake was Jake was in a pretty safe pocket. And, you know, there was also a, some rare misses for Rene Paredes, but those rare misses have been kind of hanging on all year this year. There's been, you know, a kicker who is near perfect has just struggled a lot this year as well. 
It's amazing to me when we talk about Rene Paredes' struggles um, when he's still among the best kickers in the league uh, on a weekly basis. You know, you even go back, if you want to go back a little further, uh, the fans in Saskatchewan called Dave Ridgway the robo-kicker, yep. right? He was robo-kicker. He was automatic. And his career average is something like 84%. If you if you looked at, at any kicker in the CFL right now and said you gave him an 84% success rate, that guy doesn't have a job next year. So we've gone – the kicking position is elevated so much in the current game – frame like in the in the current generation of the game that if a kicker's under 90 percent now it starts to seem weird um Rene Paredes misses the occasional field goal but it's not like it cost the team this week there have been times where his misses over the last couple seasons have absolutely cost this team wins in one or two point games but this wasn't one of them and I'm I'm not at all concerned about Rene Paredes he'll kick until he doesn't want to anymore um and I'm just fine with that and they also have an amazing backup kicker in Toshi Sato from Japan as well on the practice roster. So overall, really, what did we take away from this game? It was really, like you said, it was really meaningless on both sides. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, I don't want to say the players played that way, but that's how it felt like they played to me. It just, there was, you know, I asked, we, we jokingly asked in the press box if what the official amount of time you have to play for the game to count. Like, could we have just called the game in the middle of the third quarter on account of apathy? Yeah. Um, you know, as opposed to lightning or anything else. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's unfortunate that the CFL had a whole weekend of those games, but that that is what it was. And, and you know, uh, the Stampeders, if you had said at the beginning of the season that the Stampeders would be resting players in week 18 and have a not very, or week 21 or whatever it is, and not have a very exciting game against the Bombers, you would have assumed that's because they were hosting a playoff game. Now that's not the case in this season, but that doesn't mean that they didn't secure a playoff spot. And all you have to do is get in. And we've seen this team before go on and win a great cup championship after, uh, after a pretty bad regular season. Yeah. And then speaking of wish list Saturday, doubleheader kicked off as almost a playoff. Actually, it was a playoff preview. The Hamilton Tiger Cats headed to Montreal to take on the Alouettes, who they will be facing next weekend in the Eastern Semi. Pick up in free agency as the kick drops down. Line drive right to Letcher. 48-yard punt, but he got there in a hurry, and it gives him a chance to return it around the corner. Earlier this season, Chandler Worthy had a big punt return touchdown against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It's Letcher into the end zone from Montreal. The Alouettes came out on top of, in a close game, 22-20. And is this a sign of things to come next week? I don't know how much we want to take from last week's games. I mean, I, I think I, I do think that the Hamilton-Montreal is probably going to be the better of the two semifinals. I mean, we all know as we listen to this podcast that the Stampeders are going to go into BC and beat them up just like they did two weeks ago, win by 30, and it's not going to matter. Uh, but on the flip side of that, your your other side of that conversation uh, you know, Montreal has only lost to Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg. That's it. They've played seven games against those teams. They've lost those seven games. They won the 11 games against every other team in the league. So that should bode well for Montreal uh, headed into this Eastern semifinal. But at the same time, you never know what we're going to see from uh, from CFL playoff football. So my personal 
hankering. Uh, you know, if I'm if I get to pick the two teams in the Great Cup, it'll be Calgary versus Hamilton for the storyline. If nothing else, uh, I think it would be an incredible buildup of a week. Um, you know, can Hamilton finally break their Great Cup curse? With Bo Levi Mitchell, the only Stampeders quarterback that's ever started and won two Grey Cups uh, for the team. You know, like there there would be so much storyline there that I think it would do a lot better than than an Argo Bomber rematch, which yeah. I don't know that anybody wants to see. Um, you know, I, I think either of the two Western semifinal teams beating the Bombers makes the Grey Cup more interesting to me. But, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm rooting for Hamilton – but if I'm picking, if I'm betting with my wallet, uh, I'm I'm betting on Montreal this weekend. Yeah. So for this game that we just passed over, um, well, just past weekend, I mean, yeah. For the, for the Tie Cats, Bo Levi Mitchell, he started five for 10, 53 yards. Taylor Powell came in after 10 for 19, 106 yards and two interceptions. Uh, Hamilton really had no run game at all to speak of. And Terry Godwin had only three catches for 56 yards. It wasn't a very, big offensive game for the Ticats. Of course, I know we're going into, you know, we're looking into next week and you know, it was the last game of the year, but you almost kind of expected a bit of a different kind of game in this one. I don't know. I mean, I expected some pretty vanilla offense and I think that's what we got from both teams. You know, I, I think that the punt return touchdown was the, or the missed field goal return touchdown was the most exciting play of the game. Yeah. Um, as it would be almost every week. Let's, let's be honest. Well, that uh, was doesn't a matter big what one. game you're playing, but <laughs> it was a big one, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't expecting much from this entire weekend of CFL football. Mm-hmm. And I got was I, what I was expecting. You know, the Toronto Ottawa game was also mm-hmm. boring. Um, you know, there's there's no stakes for Ottawa there, and the only stakes for Toronto is to tie Edmonton with the best record um, in league history, and and that they did that. So yeah, I just this whole this whole weekend seemed like a bit of a bust. It was yeah, like the Alouettes. Cody Pajardo came in; he only went six for eight, fifty-five yards. He threw a touchdown, but then he was out of the game for the rest of it. I mean, William Standback had some carries. The game was very much a true 2024 planning type of game. So we're going to throw in all the backups. We're going to kind of see what happens. I felt like it wasn't really a true look at next week because rarely, like not really anybody played. Although, although we did get another dribble kick. Yes. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's funny. We had a, we had an argument in the three down nation chat about the dribble kick and when it happened. And I said, I think someone doing this, if they don't change the rule in the off season, which frankly I'm expecting, but if they don't change the rule in the off season, I think for the short, in the short term, it fundamentally changes how you have to play defense on second and 20 after that holding penalty, you can no longer afford to play 10 yards off the ball and just give up a couple on first down to a pass you have to play press. And if you're playing press, then that does allow things to open up downfield and allows the opportunity to have those longer passes and, and those first and 20 and second and 20 opportunities can become a little more statistically likely because of the fear of the dribble kick. And now that Montreal's done it twice in one season, hopefully that change comes to pass. It's going to have to, honestly, like it's, 
it's something I guess that nobody really thought of until it happened and it happened twice. Montreal figured it out and good on them, right? They got out of a really tough position and yep, they, they tried it three times and yeah. they were successful twice. Yeah. And then I guess to finish off this week in the season finale, it was the Argonauts heading out to the nation's capital, taking on the Red Blacks. So first and 10 up the 49. Faking to Adam Aboy and throwing to the right. Open Dijon Touchdown Argos. He got in behind Money Hunter. And Toronto with their first offensive touchdown of the night. No surprise, the score was really, I don't think it was a true Toronto game, although they did get the amazing record of 16-2. and two. I thought the bigger news the more positive news out of this game was the announcement early this week that bob dice is going to be returning as the head coach next year for the red blacks that might to me have more to do with the coaching cap than bob dice himself you know if if uh, i don't know how much you've talked about the operations cap on this show Mm -hmm. but i mean that that kept bob dice's job you know you you can't afford to pay multiple coaches for multiple years and and uh, so Bob Dice will be back next year. Um, I feel like I feel that's good for Bob Dice. Like I'm I'm a Bob Dice guy. I like the guy. He seems nice enough. Seems like he does a good enough job. Just hasn't been able to get the results done and has made some mistakes late in games. Um, but you also, you know, it, it is still effectively, although he had a couple interim spots, this was his first year as a head coach. And I think he gets a little bit of grace in that scenario. So I'm not surprised he's coming back, not the least of which because it was his first full year as a head coach, uh, officially heading into a season, but also because the operations cap makes it really cost prohibitive for anybody to be firing coaches. Yeah, we talked at length about it um, when Victor Kui was let go in Edmonton, uh, TSN's uh, TSN's Farhan Lalji was on and we went into great detail about the cap and how, you know, Chris Jones can't be fired because they're already paying out ex GMs and ex head coaches. So yeah, we have talked in detail. I feel like though with for Bob Dice that in my opinion, I don't think it's much of a cap thing. I think he, he was just dealt a bad hand this year. I mean, you know, nobody can really be successful with Arbuckle and then Masoli goes down a one year to the day that he gets hurt from he who shall not be named. So, you know what I mean? I, I feel like that Dice was just dealt a bad hand, you know, like there was a ton of injuries in Ottawa as well. So if, if Ottawa can get healthy and kind of get things on track next year, I think that would be the bigger test of what he can or cannot do in the league as a head coach. Yeah. The quarterback injury certainly played, certainly played into it, but then again, he made the decision to start Arbuckle for three games when he had Dustin Crum just standing there. Uh, and Dustin Crum was the reason they won any games they did win. So, you know, you, you got to, they beat Ottawa or sorry, they beat Winnipeg. You yeah. know, they, they, they beat Calgary, um, which, you know, in an overtime game. So there, there's just, you know, that those moments of, of opportunity uh, and recognizing what you've got in the building sometimes doesn't necessarily always work out either because, you know, he started Nick Arbuckle for a couple games when he didn't need to. Yeah. And not to gloss over the Argos this week. I mean, Cameron Dukes, I, th- I felt like he he played a good game and where he needed to, because when Toronto played Calgary, for example, a lot of people, as soon as Kelly kind of got a little injured, they felt like there was no depth in Toronto's quarterback room. 
So for Cameron Dukes to come out, he went 22 for 34, 317, a touchdown, two picks. But I mean, everyone threw picks this year. And he also led the team in rushing as well. He ran the ball for 39 yards. And then, like I said, for the Red Blacks, you know, uh, Justin Hardy had a really good game this week too. Six catches for 119 and a touchdown. But I feel like, I feel like Dustin Crum, when he came out, he was this big surprise quarterback. But then teams started to figure him out. Do you think after his big breakout start that Bob Dice and the offensive coordinators held him back from running as much? No, I just think the team started to spy him. Uh, and I, I think the same thing happened with Trey Ford in Edmonton. Yeah. You know, Trey Ford went out and, and lit the world on fire with his legs the first couple of weeks. And then after that, you know, there was maybe one or two rare play, but he wasn't taking off all the time. And that's because the option to take off wasn't there because teams started to run contain. And I think they did that on Dustin Crum as well. They ran contain. They gave him a linebacker spy. And after that, that was uh, that was the end of of, you know, him crumbling down the field. Yeah, it was really it was a lot of the linebackers. Yeah, Cameron Judge, he was doing a great job on both of them on Trey Ford and Dustin Crum. When he started spying, it kind of all the other defenses around the league were like, oh, wait, hold on. But for in Trey Ford, you still they still couldn't catch him, though. That was that was the difference. (laughs) Trey Ford is is fast enough that you just can't catch him. Um, And and that's the difference between Trey Ford and Dustin Crum. Dustin Crum was catchable. Trey Ford wasn't. I mean, I asked Mike Rose about Trey Ford uh, and he said, I haven't seen anyone on a field that that's that's that fast since Lamar Jackson, who he played in college. But at the same time, you know, it's not just one spy on Trey Ford. There's a spy whose job is to chase him to the outside and then your corners can break down and come in and help. So there's a scheme to stopping that running quarterback and and teams started to do it against Edmonton and Ottawa uh, towards the back half of the season. So in your opinion, where do we see the Red Blacks in 2024 as opposed to how they finished this year? The problem with the current CFL is you can completely remake a team in the offseason. You know, you, you've got, I, I think as, as teams have been getting eliminated, Three Down Nation has been publishing their list of potential free agents uh, coming off the season. And I think there's, you know, anywhere from 30 to I think the lowest team in the league still has 20 free agents heading into the year. So when half of your roster is a free agent, it's impossible to tell from one year to the next where they're going to be. Jeremiah Masoli says he's going to be making every effort to come back and play again. He does still have one more year on his contract in Ottawa. And if he plays, who knows whether or not he'll be able to be the quarterback he was, um, you know, back I mean, heck, even pre-pandemic is how back, how far back we almost need to go for Masoli um, to really be showing himself as a as a pure starter, undisputed. So I, I, I mean, it's hard to tell what's going to happen in the offseason just because the whole team can change so dramatically that it can make a substantial difference. You know, if if the GM gets told, oh, go out and get me the best offensive line in football and I don't care what it costs. Maybe that changes their results the next season. You know, if you, yeah. So it's, it's hard to tell from one, one week to the next or one season to the next, what, uh, what people are going to do. If they bring back largely the same roster, 
I don't know that there's much many different results. No. And before we take a look at the playoffs, I also want to talk about Saskatchewan a little bit. So Jeremy O'Day, oddly enough, gets extended, which I thought everyone was basically calling for both of them to be gone. So O'Day gets the extension. Dickinson, unfortunately, is gone, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. So who do you think leads the list for the next head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? There's, there's who I'd hire and who I think will get the job. That's I'm, I'm in the um, same boat. I'm in the exact same boat. Cause for me, who I would hire is Mark Killam. He deserves it. He has put in, he's paid his dues. He's put in the work. He deserves the job. Now who is going to get it? It could end up being someone like Buck Pierce who has had, you know, a great offense in Winnipeg, or it could also be Corey Mace who has had lights out defense in Toronto. If I'm hiring a head coach right now, um, Killer is absolutely getting a call to talk about it. But I don't know. It's also interesting because I don't know how willing he is to leave Calgary. Right. I think he's got a pretty good situation here. Um, you know, we had him on our podcast uh, at the last season. Um, no, earlier this year. Um, and he talked about, he talked about, you know, he said, why, why aren't you? somewhere else by now and he kind of said look i have a good situation here i got two kids Mm -hmm. they've grown up here i've worked in the same building for my entire career you know i'll go interview but this situation's got to be exactly right for him to go so i don't know that that he necessarily goes to take over saskatchewan especially knowing that the gm there is kind of on a you know jeremy o'day got extended but if they're bad again next year wouldn't surprise me to see Jeremy O'Day get his walking papers, even with those extra years on there. So, I mean, I, I think Scott Milanovic has probably got to be a front runner um, as a, as a retread. Um, but if I'm hiring a new coach right now to start a team, I'm hiring Jordan Maximic. What mm-hmm. he's done with that BC Lions offense oh, over yeah. the last couple seasons has been phenomenal. You know, we, we talk about the play of, of Vernon Adams and, and Nathan Rourke. But when you look at BC's offense and you you give it just a good, hard analysis, those receivers are open all the time, all the time. Yeah. And those receivers aren't open with no one around them for three or four yards because of talent. Those receivers are open with no one around them for three or four yards because of scheme. And so if I can get Jordan Maximic in the building and bring his offensive picture into what we're doing in any city right now, I think that's, that's absolutely the guy they should be talking to, but um, I don't know that, I don't know that that'll happen. Uh, I think Saskatchewan wants somebody with a proven track record um, and O'Day will want that. Uh, I think killer will pay the price for the fact that Craig Dickinson was also a standout special teams coordinator before he got the head team, the head coach gig. And so they may want to decide to go with either an offensive or a defensive guy rather than coming back into that special teams. Well, fair enough. I know, like I said, that he had interviewed in Ottawa, like you said as well, it's got to be the right fit for him. I think he would be a really good fit in Saskatchewan. I've also heard the rumblings and the rumors that Henry Burris wants to be a head coach. Henry wants a lot of things, but I mean, Henry hasn't been, a coordinator anywhere yet. No. And and I get the idea of 
Henry Burris the motivator. But I think if you're going to have Henry Burris be your head coach, better have the best damn assistant assistance that money can buy. Mm-hmm. Because those assistants are going to have to be the ones that run scheme, you know, and, and I get that offensive and defensive coordinators are doing that already, but they normally go with the coach's vision. And I don't know if Henry Burris isn't a rah, rah guy more than an X's and O's guy. I yeah. could be wrong. I could be totally wrong, but that's my impression at the moment, just because oh, he's never yeah. really held a coordinator job for very, yeah. like, Never been an O coordinator, never been a D coordinator. He's been assistants in a couple places where he's been, um, but never really stayed there for long either. No, he hasn't really had, he hasn't had any longevity anywhere. So, all right, well, we will be right back. And then we're going to take a look at the upcoming playoffs. All right. It is time to look at the 2023 CFL East and West Division semifinals. And Ryan, we are starting off at Percival Molson Stadium, the Hamilton Tiger Cats taking on the Montreal Alouettes for real this week, which is also an Eastern semifinal final from 2022. Yeah, uh, I think all the playoff matchups are the same so far um, in this one uh, with both Winnipeg and Toronto at their top of their respective divisions as well. Again, I, I... I'd love to see Hamilton win this game. I just don't see that they will. They're still playing hot potato at quarterback, whether it's uh, – and and even Orlando Steinauer came out this week and said both Bo Levi Mitchell and Matthew Schultz will be playing um, as quarterbacks this weekend. So I think when you have that kind of inconsistency at that position, it's not like back when it was Caleros and uh, um, uh, who was the running guy – with the fur coat and the no shirt and the gray cap. Oh, um, yeah. Strebler. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, his name completely escaped me for a minute. Um, when it was Strebler and Caleros, Caleros was the starter and Strebler was being brought in for packages. And so Caleros was still the undisputed kind of leader of the offense. I don't know that you have that this year with, with Bo and, and Schultz, the way that they're going to be using them. And, you know, we, we all know that Bo can lead an offense and Bo can lead a room and, and rally guys to the cause. But if the coaches aren't showing that kind of confidence in you to know that you're the guy, can the players around you also give you that kind of respect and treat you like the guy? And I don't know whether or not they can. So again, I've said already, I'd much rather see a Hamilton Calgary great cup than any other matchup. But you know, if, if I'm opening up that, that whatever gambling site you want to use or whatever gambling site wants to sponsor me, just give me a call. Um, you can, uh, uh, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably taking Montreal. Yeah. You know, I am, I'm one of the biggest Matthew Schultz for starting quarterback guys in, you know, in media, I guess right now, because I'm all for Matthew Schultz. He needs to have a starting job. I think he's earned it year over year. He was on the podcast right before the season started. And we talked about what does it take mentally to be that backup guy. So I'm hoping that he is the one that, you know, gets the majority of the snaps. He's got the arm power and he's got the legs still to do it. Whereas Bo has, he's like big game Bo, right? He's been in the big game before and he is the rah, rah, rah guy. But I feel like Schultz is the better leader for what he can do on the field right now. So you know, how effective is James Butler going to be on the run game when we're looking at a defense that's stacked up with Sean Lemon and Darnell Sankey? Well, we, we know how effective they can be. 
Um, <laughs> here in Calgary, uh, both Darnell Sankey and Sean Lemon, multiple tours for Sean Lemon. Um, yep. I mean, can Butler be effective? Who knows? Like, again, there are days that, that work in the favor of every player here or there. I do think that the run defense that Montreal has now, especially that they picked up Sankey and, and to a degree, Sean Lemon. Sean Lemon's more of a pass rusher than a run stopper, but yeah, I, I think that, that Montreal defense is pretty formidable. It's interesting because, of course, you have both middle linebackers uh, and, and two premier defensive ends um, in this game that both came from the Calgary Stampeders. Because on the flip side in Hamilton, you have Jaguar Davis and you have uh, Jameer Thurman, yep. who also um, have had, uh, you know, good season or, well, Jaguar Davis had good career since leaving here, but um he's been in the great cup every single season uh which is a, a crazy statistic to think back on i think if uh, when the 30 for 30 on jagger davis's career is going to be incredible yeah uh, this guy was just in the great cup every single year so yeah it's, i think it's it's definitely a, a curious matchup between the two of them um using stampeder defenders uh to uh to get themselves into these playoff positions and then with montreal as well They've got a really great one-two punch with Tyson Philpott and Austin Mack with Cody Fajardo at the helm as well. Yeah, I think weather weather might be the only thing that slows them down if Montreal gets a little bit, uh, uh, you know, Montreal can get uh, a little freezing rain at this time of year, which would be bad for everybody. Um, you know, if you can't make your cuts on the field and the field's not in good shape, then that really kind of takes away that passing offense. Uh, Philpott, a, a phenomenal player. Uh, Austin Mack has kind of come out of nowhere this season for for the Alouettes um, and Cody Fajardo needs to shake off his own you know kind of postseason demons uh, thinking all the way back to when he binked one off the goalpost to to lose a West final for win or West semifinal for Winnipeg yeah and now let's jump into the Western Division semifinal again another rematch Calgary Stampeders heading out to BC Place to take on the Lions and of course you know, we talked about it earlier. So are we going to get the same Calgary team that showed up for the 41-16 win? Well, you certainly hope so as a Stamps fan. Uh, I think you hope to see them uh, come out and, and get the job done like they did. Uh, they won by 30-some-odd points just a couple weeks ago or 25 points or something like that um, in a game that was never really close. It is being played indoors, which I think uh, benefits Calgary – from a footing perspective when you're looking at their run game, because their run game is going to be able to uh, do what it did a few weeks ago and just have its feet underneath it and churn the clock on the flip side. You also have BC's receivers and we need to see which ones we're going to, which Vernon Adams we're going to get. Are we going to get the Vernon Adams that we saw two weeks ago that couldn't complete a pass? Or are we going to see the Vernon Adams that has torched this team on several occasions in the past? Um, you know, is it going to be a six pick day or a three touchdown day for Vernon Adams? That, I think, is the biggest X factor heading into this game is the Jekyll and Hyde nature of, of Vernon Adams Jr. On the flip side, though, kind of the same thing for Jake Mayer as well, right? Like, he is no stranger to the turnovers. He's no stranger to the interceptions and kind of forcing the ball. Is his interceptions going to be a major problem this weekend, too? Well, interesting. So I, read, I went back and ran the numbers. He threw 11 interceptions in the first seven games right. of the season. In the last 11 games of the season, he only threw four interceptions out of 400 passes. So his interception rate 
has dropped from, I think at one point it was six or 7% of his passes were being picked off. It's dropped to only 1% of his passes have been intercepted since the beginning of the year. And he hasn't thrown one now in four weeks. So when you look back at the Stampeder season, it was really bad early on. And there's no, there's no questioning that, but Meyer mayor's really taken care of the ball in these last four weeks when he absolutely had to and didn't put it into the hands. And there's ball Hawks in BC, you know, Gary Peters is one of the best in the, in the league at what he does. Uh, Winnipeg's got some, some guys that can catch the ball as well in their defensive backfield. And Jake Mayer didn't throw any interceptions against Saskatchewan against Winnipeg. So that bodes well for him. I think heading into the playoffs that he's making better decisions with the ball if his receivers could hang on to the ball, that's, that's, I think where Jake Mayer goes from having a good day to a great day. Um, because inevitably this team has been just, just murdered by over and over and over again, seeing receivers drop balls. Um, and so if you can get the receivers to make those catches. Um, and again, I think from my recollection you're probably talking about at least three or four a game of, of guys just clanking them off their hands or or having catches they absolutely should have had you give those three or four catches uh in that nice clean dome in bc and and i think calgary's got a real chance of, of coming out of this game with a victory is the play of moxie recently concerning at all he's all in all throughout the whole year this year i mean you know, he had that play in Saskatchewan. Yeah, he instead of knocking the ball away, he went up for the pick, ended up knocking it right into the Saskatchewan player's hands for a touchdown. But also most recently, though, a lot of penalties and a lot of blown coverages. Uh, yeah, I, I, but if we think back to Jonathan Moxie, when did Jonathan Moxie become the, the household name that he became was in the playoffs. He had a three-interception game in the playoffs against Saskatchewan. Talent doesn't just go away. Uh, and I think they've they've moved him around quite a bit in the backfield too. So, am I concerned that he's allowed a couple big plays as of late? Yes, I am concerned. But I also think it might have also been a byproduct of trying to do too much, rather than just an incompletion is enough. You know, he's trying to read the quarterback or get off a receiver so that he can go make an interception or something. Trying to do everything he can, and I think that's actually plagued a lot of guys on this Stampeders team throughout the season. They're trying to be the guy that gets the team started. And when you have too many of those guys making one too many mistakes a game, trying to be the guy that gets everything started, you end up, you end up losing games. So um, I hope that he can kind of be reeled in and, and just take his assignments here in the playoffs. Yeah. And then, you know, to piggyback off that with, you know, someone, everyone trying to be the guy, I mean, we saw a spearing penalty this year from Micah Awe. When was the last time we saw a spearing penalty in the CFL in general? I, I thought that was a bad call. But yeah. yeah. I mean, did he lead with his helmet? Yes, he did. However, right before he got there, the guy was tackled from behind. And so instead of his helmet and shoulder making contact with the receiver's chest, his helmet and shoulder made contact with the receiver's head. Yeah. Um, so I thought Awe, I thought Awe got unlucky in that particular scenario. Never mind the fact that it was a spearing penalty, which I thought was also um, rather excessive. 
But at the speed that Awe plays, sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah. And we've talked about, you know, the health of Vernon Adams Jr. with his leg. We've talked about the Jekyll and Hyde. What about the BC run game? Because we haven't really seen a solid run game out of BC since Butler departed for Hamilton. Nobody has. Um, I'm not afraid of their run game at all. No. Um, whatever whatever run game they want to bring to this playoff game, honestly, Mike Alway, Cameron Judge, the the defensive line, you know, which whichever four guys they put out there, because we know Mike Rose will be there. We know Derek Wigan will be there. Um, we don't know who's going to be in at the ends. Uh, I think that's uh, going to come down to practice this week. So I think if you look at if you look at the D line and and the linebacking core, um, I'm not at all really worried about a BC a BC run game, but that's that's because their pass game is so effective. Yeah. Why are you running the ball when your guys are open 25 yards down the field? Yeah, they've got multiple deep threats. They've got Rhymes, Hatcher, Katoy, Whitehead. I mean, you know, and those guys, like we talked about with McSimmick, right? They like we, they are taught the scheme. They're taught to do it the right way. Is are they going to be too much for Calgary secondary? I mean, I, if, if Calgary loses the game, it's because Vernon Adams has a day. Um, I think Vernon Adams, you know, Vernon Adams has to get those guys the ball. It's not just whether or not they can. I, if you get the ball close to them, they're coming down with it. Mm-hmm. And so they need to be able to shut down by creating pressure, get Adams on the run, take away some of his options. If he sits back in the pocket all day, he will pick the Stampeders apart. So you said earlier, you know, you want to see Hamilton go to Toronto, but your, you know, your betting hat would be Montreal. So who goes to Winnipeg? Who goes to IG Field on this one? Uh, anybody who's listened to my podcast over the years uh, knows that um, I will only ever pick Calgary. Um, I'm, I'm not interested in, in picking anybody else. Uh, I'm a Stampeders fan through and through. I can look at the game analytically, but if you're going to ask me who I want to win on Sunday, it's going to be the Stampeders every time, and I won't breach any conversation as to why that may not happen. <laughs> Um, so, uh, give me, uh, give me the, the stampeders, uh, by, uh, give me the stamps by a nine, um, nine. so that it's not that converted touchdown. Give me, give me the stamps by nine. All right. So, and then you said that you want to see Hamilton Calgary. So that is your pick for the great cup coming up, which would be yeah. nice to see as well, because Hamilton will be hosting, which would be nice to see. Right. Exactly. Well, and then you get that replay of 2008 where you're playing Montreal in Montreal and, and Huffnagel's, you know, epic pregame speech where he said, uh, where he ends it off with, man, we've got them right where we want them. And the whole, like, I've talked to guys that were in the room for that, that great cup. And, and Randy Chevrier told me they could have bricked our locker room door and it would not have stopped us from getting to the field in that moment. He said, everybody was so hyped up to get out there and and prove that we were going to win the Grey Cup and and do and get it done in Montreal in front of their home fans against the Alouettes and and so I think you can play on a similar narrative should they get to Hamilton and face off against the Ticats. Well, that wraps up uh, the Week Twenty One review and a look at the upcoming playoff week. So Ryan, what do you have coming up? Uh, it's a good question. Obviously, we'll be watching the game this weekend. We'll see what's uh, what's going on there. Trying to trying to uh, see if the Stampeders can can uh, get back to victory. Um, I'm not. I haven't been in Calgary all that often. 
uh, in the last three months because I've been traveling for my day job. So I'm really hoping we can squeeze one more podcast in here, uh, uh, possibly uh, to, uh, tomorrow night or, or before the, the game on Saturday. And, and uh, yeah, just looking forward to the game on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to the fact that it is a Saturday, not a Sunday. It's great. Um, you know, I hope that helps attendance. Uh, in in both of the semifinal markets now that we're getting these games on a Saturday because people can legitimately travel from Calgary to BC to watch the game and then make their way back on the Sunday. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just looking forward to a a good day of Canadian football on Saturday and then uh, maybe a little F1 on Sunday. Oh, nice. And uh, so the people can also find you on 3Down Nation, correct? Yeah, you can find me on 3Down Nation. You can find me on any of the variety of social media platforms at BBCanRyan uh, is where I am everywhere. So your your Instagram, your Twitter, or X or whatever it's called now, um, your uh, uh, Blue Sky. Uh, if you're out there, I'm, I'm on threads. I'm on all of those places waiting to see what becomes the actual Twitter replacement once Elon finally kills that website. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, when that happens, I'll be on all the, the social media sites. You can find me. Um, and uh, same with the show. If you want to hear the show, you can hear the Ghost Stamps Go show. Uh, we are uh, market. We are the Ghost Stamps Go show on all the social media platforms as well. Well, that is it for us. This, for Ryan Ballantyne, this is Anthony, and we'll see you later.